Welcome to Fast Fiction. Where's Fred? Fast Track series. I know exactly when it was I got the idea to murder Fred and where I was and what I was doing. It was the morning of our 25th wedding anniversary, February 14th, St Valentine's Day. We were having a family picnic on the beach. I hate the beach, always have. Well, since I've known Fred, but that's beginning to feel like a lifetime. True, I was dotty about him once. Thought the sun came out of his ass, which it did in a way because he was always on the beach sunning it. But see, in those days, all I could see was his muscles, curly hair and suntan. All that went pretty fast, of course. By the time he was 30, he was overweight, nearly bored and had a mouthful of dentures. Although the suntan was still there. <laughs> yeah, he used to be gorgeous, all right, and knew it. Mind you, I was no slouch in those days myself. I could bring the fellas in. White bikini with the top too small, long blonde hair, lots of bright lipstick and mascara. Oh, yes, I knew all the tricks. Oh, we were quite a team for a while, yeah. I guess we were pretty typical of the times. Both lived at home. I was at Southport and he was at the posh end of the strip in Surfer's Paradise. We dated every Friday and Saturday nights regular, with Sundays taken up with parading our stuff. Well, wherever there was a party. Stomping was the rage then. Over at Peter's playground at Carumbin. Normie Rowe and little Patty would sing all the beach hits and Fred and me would lead the kids in all the rave dances. <laughs> like most adolescents, our hormones were racing then. And when we got together, oh, we really got together. In fact, Friday nights at the back of the flick saw more action than on the screen. Fred, stop it. And those Ooh. long walks on the beach afterwards. <clears throat> well, we weren't there to study rock pools, that's for sure. Stop it, Fred. Oh, oh, Fred. But we got caught. Or, to be exact, I got pregnant. To be fair, Fred was pretty good. He didn't ditch me like some guys did when their girls got knocked up. True, he was a bit dim even then and thought it proved he was a man. Wore a silly grin on his face till I told him he'd have to marry me. Of course, we tried to get rid of it. The kid, I mean, not the grin. That came off soon enough. We tried the gin in the hot bath routine, but it didn't work. And you know, I'm glad it didn't. I wouldn't swap my son Elvis for anything. Or his kiddie prince. Mind you, there were times when young Elvis was a baby and bawling his head off that I'd have cheerfully thrown him into the ocean. That's when Fred joined the lifeguards. I didn't care because he was never much cop as a husband. But then 
I don't think shotgun weddings bring out the best in any couple, do you? Anyway, living in a two-bedroom cottage on a mechanic's wage was far from bliss. Our parents weren't sympathetic either. They took the attitude, You've been lying on the proverbial bed, so now cop the consequences. Which was fair enough under the circumstances, I suppose. So we struggled along as best we could, and of course within five years I'd got another two kiddies all screaming their blooming heads off. Like I said, as a bit of relief from all the noise and to get a bit of space, Fred used to escape to the beach whenever he could. And although I never much liked it, even then, I began to make good use of it myself too. After all, it's cheap and healthy entertainment for the kids. And with them playing happy enough, it gave me a bit of time to myself. I used to read a lot. To begin with, it was always romances. But then I found it made me depressed, learning about the kind of lives and lovers I could have had if I'd made real use of me blonde hair and big boobs. So I switched to mysteries. God, there are some clever writers around, let alone murderers. You have to have a real powerhouse of know-how to commit the perfect crime these days. There's medicines and metabolic rates, physiology and forensics, all that fancy stuff. It's real interesting, but back to Valentine's Day and my decision to kill Fred. Well, it didn't come to me all at once. It was more a gradual process. The opposite of peeling off layers of onion skins. I sort of put them on, one idea on top of another, so to speak. First of all, I expect you're wondering about the motive. Well, that's a toughie. It's usually money, revenge, jealousy or passion, isn't it? Mm, I don't suppose killing someone because you're bored with them can be described as a crime of passion. And I couldn't think of any woman who would look at him for me to get jealous. As for revenge, <laughs> well, since he had been wearing bifocals, he could barely see me, let alone another woman. So... I guess my motive would have to be money, or lack of it. Perhaps I'd better explain that in addition to the beach, Fred only had one other pleasure, or vice, whichever you want to call it, though I don't expect a judge or jury would consider scratch-it tickets a vice, would they? But they can be a real problem, I can tell you. When you have a man like Fred, who can't walk past a newsagent without buying one of the blooming things, only five dollars here and five dollars there, but I tell you, it soon mounts up, enough to put the skids on the rent money most weeks. So there you have it. I wanted to kill my husband because he was fat and ugly and boring and crazy for the beach and scratch-it tickets. Not much of a motive, is it? But then, as I saw it, that was to my advantage. Anyway, as time went on and I warmed to the idea, I found a lot of other reasons. Little things, I admit, but Christ, when you got down to it, he was a real irritating little shit. Or a big one, if you take in his size. Which brings me to the big question, how to bump him off and get rid of the body. 
See, bodies decay pretty quick, and once the rigor mortis sets in, it gets a bit difficult carrying the corpse around. I found that out from the mystery novels. It was funny thinking of Fred as a corpse, though to be honest, he had acted like one most of his life. Well, I mean, he'd just lie on the beach like a blooming stiff and at home, well, he'd be a right couch potato. So you could say he was practising being a corpse most of his life. But I couldn't see me lugging his carcass from one place to another in the dead of night, which is what they seem to do a lot in books these days. Like, I know I've put on a bit of weight, but I'm still only 130 pounds and he was pretty well twice that. No, far better do the deed and leave him in one place. So, what do you reckon I came up with? I'll give you a clue. While we were on the beach that day, laid out like sun-dried tomatoes, Little Prince got to looking through a book his dad had just bought him. The book was called Where's Wally? Yeah, Where's Wally? Now you're ticking, I bet. But for those of you who don't know about Wally, I'd better explain. See, these books are full of pictures of hundreds of people stacked up like sardines. They're in the city, train station, shopping mall or on the beach. And the trick is, you have to find Wally in the crowd. And it's real hard, I can tell you. Yeah, I reckoned if I bumped off Fred on the beach in the middle of all those people vegging out in the sun, well, he could lay there all day and no one would know the difference. And the way I figured it, I'd wait until midsummer so that the hot temperatures would quicken the process of the body decay. Well, think what happens when you leave a piece of meat out in the hot sun. See what I mean? Which brings me around to what I was going to do when he was sort of carking it or dead. As I saw it, I had two options. One was to kill him. Sounds nasty that, doesn't it? But let's face it, that's what I had in mind. Anyway, I'll come to how I intended to do that in a minute. And then I was going to go off somewhere and create an alibi for myself. Or, alternatively... I could stay with his body to make sure it wasn't disturbed. There seemed to be advantages either way. In the first plan, I'd be pretty safe not to be connected with it, but there would be more chance that he could be found early and resuscitated or whatever it is they call it. In the second, I could protect him or his corpse, so to speak, but took a chance as to whether or not I could make out I was somewhere else all day. Bit of a problem, that, especially as I wasn't sure how soon it would be before he began to, well, stink. And with me right next to him all day, that was important. Well, you have to think of these things. Like I said, you have to have a lot of nows to commit a murder. But of course, you're wondering how I was going to kill him. <laughs> and I've been a bit sneaky on that one. See, what I haven't told you is that when he put on all that weight, he got dropped from the lifeguards. So he sat around the house, depressed and drinking, putting on more weight. Then one day he started falling around the place, having fits and scaring the living daylights out of both of us. Oh, uh, oh. He went to the dock, of course, had tests and stuff, and we found out he had become a diabetic. Was at second level, too. 
I guess the warning signs had been coming for ages, but we hadn't known it. It's hard to know a man is really sick when he's been taking sickies from work every few weeks all his life. See, as union leader at the garage, he had to set an example, and regular sickies are expected, aren't they? It was rough for a while. He cracked up, couldn't handle giving himself injections, so I had to do it. And I wasn't much better. I was a bit squeamish and used to look away when I stuck the needle in him. Poor sod, he finished up like a blooming pincushion most of the time. And he was a real wimp, I can tell you, moaning and groaning all the time. In fact, Stan, uh, this nice young male nurse at the hospital, told me it's enough to get carers motivated into mercy killings. Yes, they can't stand the whinging, I reckon. But then a Stan said if you did help them on their way because of their suffering, then you'd just as likely come away a hero. Well, maybe. But back to Fred's diabetes. I had to learn how to cook different meals for him and get in special foods. It was tough for him because he'd always had a real sweet tooth. Loved his desserts and ice creams and lollies. After a while, it wasn't so bad because you can get so many things that aren't made with sugar. They use that artificial stuff instead. And I tell you, it's damn good. You can't tell the difference most of the time. And that was my murder weapon. Lollies. Yes, just ordinary lollies and chocolates. Lots of them. See, as you've gathered, Fred was never the brightest. And so long as I told him what was all right for diabetics and what wasn't, well, he'd just pop them into his mouth without question and suck away like a baby on a dummy. Once the doc had controlled his sugar level with insulin and a prescribed diet, I'd put in a slight variation. I'd let Fred have as many lollies as he wanted. Then, when his blood sugar went sky high, we went back to the doc for a rethink and new insulin dose. But then I'd give Fred the diet lollies and special sugar-free foods, so it went down again. In this way, Fred's blood sugar went up and down like a yo-yo. I shouldn't say it, but it was fun, really. Gave me a sense of power. Even had the medic fooled. The up himself, smart-ass, never understood why he couldn't stabilise Fred with the right dose. Fred didn't know, and, well, I wasn't likely to tell him, was I? After a while, I could almost orchestrate Fred going into a coma within minutes. And I got pretty cluey from the smell. When he was hypo, and me piling the sugar in, he would stink like a candy store. The flies had a field day. Mind you, what with his personal hygiene a bit sus, he was always popular with them. Yes, he was a dirty devil, was Fred. Never washing under his armpits. And the rest of him was always iffy. Come to think of it, that was good enough reason to bump him off in itself. He usually went down like a lump of lead when he went into one of his comas. But see, I reckoned on M-Day, or D-Day, well, he'd be lying down already, so it wouldn't matter. I decided to wait till his birthday so that I could make a fuss of him. Good reason to hand out the old chockies and goodies. And so long as we were under a big umbrella, 
or one of those newfangled cabana things, no one would see him having one of his turns, unless they were real close. I made a note to pack in insect repellent on that day, too. Once he was quiet, I thought I'd just remove the umbrella and let him sort of fry out there. Here, yeah, just leave him to it. And maybe, to avert a bit of suspicion, I thought I, I could roll him over once in a while, maybe even rub a bit of sunscreen on his back from time to time, just to make it look authentic and caring. Nice touch, eh? I also thought I might pour a bit of rum down his throat occasionally, so that even when it got a bit dark, if someone came up and said anything, I could just say he'd been celebrating a bit and needed to sleep it off. The rum would help cover over the sugar smell too. But that would still put me and him together all day, wouldn't it? That's when I thought of a disguise, and it wouldn't need to be much of one either. See, once people are on the beach, they don't wear much that identifies them, do they? Or swimsuits look much the same, as do straw hats and sunglasses. You can barely recognise anyone, even people you know well, in that sort of rig. And let's face it, when you see someone gross wearing swimmers with all their bellies and bits flopping about, it's worse than being at Weight Watchers or a Jenny Craig gym, so you always look away. Well, I do. So I could be there and quite easily deny it was me so long as I could prove I was somewhere else. That's where my second plan came in. I decided to begin setting myself up an alibi long before I knocked him off by letting neighbours know that I went to Eagle Street Market on the free bus every Sunday. I mean, one, four, fantastic value. Two Once there, I'd make myself conspicuous to a few stallholders, like, oh, I don't know, dropping my money all over the floor or, or getting mixed up with the change, that sort of thing. After a week or two, though, I didn't have to do it anymore because they began to recognise me and make jokes. Sometimes I'd ring up the neighbours and ask if they were interested in any special bargains on sale. They always said no, but that didn't matter. You can see, I was only setting up an alibi. The reason for all this was that people would get so used to me being in a certain place at a certain time that if asked, they wouldn't be able to remember if I was really there or not. Just assume it. My idea was that on M day, I would go all through the rigmarole as usual, but instead of getting on the bus to come home, I'd join Fred on the beach. I'd put on a disguise by changing into some snazzy beach clothes like a tart would wear. That's one good thing about being married to a drongo, he wouldn't notice the difference. I'd give him a special dose of insulin, feed him his lollies and wait for him to cark it. Then I'd sit with him a bit longer just in case some idiot wanted to talk to him, ask him the time or something. Then when he was stiffening up, I'd maybe pour the old rum over him before making a few quick calls on the mobile, making out I was still in the city. I'd stay with Fred until late and then just come home in the usual way. I'd change again, of course. I was going to put the flash clothes in one of the clothing bins for the salvos. I like to give to charity whenever I can. 
I got that from my gran. Do unto others what you wish to receive, she used to say. <laughs> I like gran. So, you see, I had it all worked out. Everyone knew Fred was a bit thick and a glutton for lollies. They wouldn't be a bit surprised that he'd had a bit of an accident by ODing on them. On his birthday, fair enough. And I reckoned after drying out like a prune for at least 12 hours, more if I was lucky, it would be a bit difficult to work out what he'd had and when. And let's face it, even if the worst came to the worst and the police worked out I was with him, what was my crime? Getting a bit sparky on the beach and giving my husband a little treat? Yes, I reckon it would have worked. It's a shame I never got the chance to put it all into practice. At least I had the fun of planning it all, sort of reduced the boredom for a few months. Well, it all fell apart when I sent the silly old fart along to the doctors for a check-up. You have to do that before taking out more life insurance. Well, you didn't think I'd put in all this work for nothing, did you? Anyway, the doc gave him a big physical, and that's when they found the melanomas. Not too big on the surface, but big as walnuts underneath they were, loads of them, and malignant. See, the quack had been so busy trying to stabilise Fred's diabetes, he hadn't really checked all the other bits of him. A great oversight on his part, I reckon. Stan, remember the male nurse? He told me that some people sue the medics for misdiagnosis when that happens. Medical negligence, they call it. It's true, I've seen it on the telly. We might check that out. Compensation claims seem to help the grieving process too. Have you noticed? Anyway, they whipped Fred into hospital real quick, of course, and put him under the knife. But he was in pretty bad shape and never really recovered. Oh, he, he came around for a couple of hours and everyone thought he'd made it through, but then he took a real bad dive and bingo. It was a bit sad, really. That's why I'm standing here in the pouring rain at Fred's graveside. I'm sopping wet and my hairdo is already a mess, as well as this stupid great wreath. It cost a bomb, too, even though I managed to get it on special, because although the carnations were okay, the gladioli were beginning to wilt. Silly idea, Reese, aren't they? When you think what you do with them, I wouldn't have wasted my money, but felt I'd better put on a bit of a show for the neighbours. That's why I bought a new black jersey suit to, to help act out the grieving widow. You have to keep up appearances. Well, to be honest, I wanted to look nice for Stan. He's coming along later, after the service. It's like a first date, really. And I do think first dates are important. We're going shopping. He's been so helpful with Fred, I thought I'd buy him a nice new suit too. After all, I'm saving on Fred's scratchets, and once his bit of insurance money comes in, I won't be short of a bob or two. And Stan's checked about the doctor's negligence. He feels pretty sure we're on to a winner there. We're going out to dinner later. Somewhere nice. But I'll have to watch what I eat because this suit is already a bit tight. Mind you, Stan says he knows a place where I can get lipo sucked at a discount if I can get enough courage to have it done. 
because, like I said, I'm a, I'm a bit squeamish with needles. But on the whole, I mustn't grumble. After all, it wasn't real good for Fred either. All those tests, injections and nasty treatments. At least I can feel good that I brought a little pleasure to his final hours when he came round after the operation with the lovely chocolates I brought him. Yeah, just after the op, they let me in to see him. And it was so nice giving him a little treat like that. He was so grateful. Well, I reckoned it was the least I could do for the poor old bloke after what he'd been through. And like I said, he always did have a sweet tooth. You have been listening to Where's Fred from the Spouse Trap series. Written and narrated by Brianda Cross. 